This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. You know, it's estimated that 80% of adults report lower back pain at some point in their lives, and 10 to 15% of all sports-related injuries do involve the spine. Low back pain accounts for the more lost person hours than any <clears throat> other type of occupational injury, and it's the most frequent cause of activity limitation in people under the age of 45. So it's important to understand not only what the spine is and what it does, but most importantly, how to approach spine treatment when there's a problem. Here to tell us all about all of this is Denise Karsten. She's a registered nurse and chiropractor specializing in the spine, and she's part of the Upstate Brain and Spine team at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Denise. Thanks so much for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, this is a problem. This is a topic very near and dear to my heart because I think, like me, many Americans have experienced, you know, or, or know someone who've had back problems or back pain. I guess I wanted to just start and ask you, why do you think that is? In other words, is there something about our spine that makes us more vulnerable to that kind of injury or problem? Well, I think that, first of all, we were not meant to stand on two feet. We were meant to use all four extremities, which is where we evolved from. So we're trying to adapt to our environment, which requires us to stand up all the time or sit down all the time. So I think the other piece is as we have emerged into a more of a technological world, we have less activity. We're more sedate. Um, we sit more. We expect our bodies to sit for 10 hours at a time at meetings um, um, day after day instead of our ancestors who were out building fences or farming the, um, the the land. So they had a much more active lifestyle than what we have More currently. mobility, therefore more maybe more flexibility. And and strikes me also that occupational ergonomics or, or the way we approach our, our lifestyle today, the way we sit looking at a computer, the way we sit in meetings, the fact that people slouch, that kind of thing, can also play a role. Oh, absolutely. You know, we're seeing so much more of the younger, um, the children coming in with the backpacks on the back or the posture of, of slouching down and looking and playing games on their phone, looking at their phones. We're seeing a whole other set of issues arising secondary to postural changes um, with the rounded shoulders and the forward head um, carriage. So that's definitely impacting us. So just briefly, give me a little bit of an overview of the kinds of things that contribute to spine problems. For example, as we talked about poor mobility and, and bad biomechanics, what are some of the other factors that actually lead to it? Well, I think for sure, you know, if you have muscle imbalances, if you have a muscle weakness on one side versus the other side, if you have um, a repetitive motion um, type of of job or position, um, I think that if we have any 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 activity that challenges us to work at that activity. So if you're lifting something and you're having to work it really hard, lifting it each time, you're going to put more demands on your spine. And obviously, aging plays a role as well. Well, and we're because not we're not. I'm sorry, Linda, to no, interrupt you. Yeah. But we're also not sure about what the familial piece is, or so, nobody's really come out and said that there's a there's a actually hereditary or a familial piece to back to spine camps, pain. So that's still you know a big question mark um, with relation to spine pain. That makes sense. And even things like posture, which is something that 
you think is something, I mean, when you look at a one-year-old running around, they start walking, or 18-month-old, they seem to have this wonderful, elegant posture. They, they just wander through the world kind of effortlessly. And then you look at someone in their 30s, sometimes even in their 20s, and they're hunched over already, as you mentioned, because of all these other issues. So posture obviously must it's play, huge. play it's a, a big huge. It's a huge piece, yeah. absolutely. Well, okay, so basically you are in a role now that's very, very interesting. It's kind of a new concept, I think, this idea of being a primary spine practitioner. So explain that to us. What does that mean? You know, a primary spine practitioner, is it is a fairly new role. It, it, there is no other role like it in central New York. Um, they have implemented it in about eight different places across the United States. And what the primary spine practitioner role comes from, has evolved from, is the need to rethink frontline management of spine pain. The need to say that how we're doing it hasn't changed statistics. I mean, we have uh, over 300% increase in um, in spinal surgery, over 600% increase in um, opioid use, you know, over, I, I want to say it's like over 400% in epidural steroidal injections. And yet the conservative care piece, which is um, manual medicine, physical therapy, self-efficacy, having the patient figure out what's going on and having them um, own the issue, is up about 36%. So we're not making any strides financially um, with cost effective for both the patient and um, the community. So the whole idea of of looking at a frontline primary spine practitioner who is, you can equate it to a primary, their, their PCP for the spine. Mm-hmm. So that when that patient initially comes in and they're in acute back pain, the program, the role has actually been shown to decrease the chances of that episode becoming a chronic disabling um, condition. And it's all about how fast we act and and how appropriate the care is on that first visit. It also includes, which is, is something that we don't often do, which is that whole soft touch piece. It's the words we use. It is when we tell a patient who doesn't know a lot about the terms and we tell them they have, they have severe degenerative changes or now they have access to their films um, on their uh, patient portal. They have access to results and they say severe. That automatically sets somebody into a place where they're, they become frightened of it. They become paralyzed, if you will, um, of what they can do, what they can't do, how it's, how it's now going to manage their life instead of them managing the situation. I think that is really a key point, and I think that much research that I've seen over the years has begun to look at this quote-unquote placebo effect, and while we would poo-poo it as saying, oh, it's only a placebo effect, the truth is the mind body connection is a really powerful one. And if you believe that you are degenerating as opposed to you believe that maybe you have resilience and flexibility and you can heal, I think that really can definitely affect outcome. Let me just ask you, you were mentioning a lot of statistics in terms of the kinds of interventions we have done, the increase in surgeries, the increase in in, st- in steroid uh, injections, that type of thing. Have we seen concomitant positive outcomes as a result, or are you saying that while these things have gone up, the outcomes have not necessarily improved? No, the the value of care and the 
outcomes has definitely not improved. I mean, for an individual patient who absolutely requires surgery, yes, their outcomes have improved. <clears throat> but we are still spending an exorbitant amount of money. We're still losing um, a lot of work time, wages lost, time lost from work than we did prior. So the interventions we're doing aren't really being as effective as we'd like to see them be. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with chiropractor and spinal specialist Denise Karsten. She's also a registered nurse. And we're talking about back pain and how to basically approach it. So obviously in your new role um, as a primary spine practitioner, you are involved in the careful analysis and diagnosis of a, someone who comes to you with acute back pain. Am I correct? Yes. And then what happens? Help us understand what's the logical sequence and how does it differ from what you were describing earlier, sending someone to a, an orthopedic surgeon or a back surgeon specifically or to perhaps a pain center? Well, I, I think first of all, the primary spine practitioner is looking at the patient um, as the center, um, as so the epicenter, if you will, um, of the care arena versus a specialist looking at the patient through what they know and what their specialty is, which is wonderful if you need that specialty. If not, then the patient is kind of left trying to figure out where should I go? I still have this pain. I'm not a surgical candidate. The in injections didn't work. What what do I do? And, you know, I, I, I equate it for patients similar to wanting to buy a raisin bran, a, a, a cereal in the grocery store. But now you're standing in front of all the cereals and you're trying to decide what is it that I should, which one should I choose? Which one would be best for me? And so a lot of spine care tends to be almost like it's grocery shopping, trying to figure out what should I heard this works, I heard that works. When a patient comes in to see me, I spend an hour or more usually more, with a patient, and I get a very thorough history. I want to hear everything that they've been through. I want to hear how it hurts, when it hurts. Um, I want to hear what provokes it. I want to hear how did it evolve. And all of the words a person uses helps me figure out what have I got here. You know, is this something, which part of the architecture of the spine is the causative age, agent or is the toddler, if you will, having a temper tantrum in your back. So I look at that. We look at the imaging. I sit with the patient. We look at the imaging together so the patient has a very clear picture of what's going on with them. But one point I want to make here, and I think what's very befuddling to a lot of people, is there isn't really always a one-to-one correlation between what it shows on an MRI and what the oh. patient feels, uh, the, or the functionality for that matter. Am I correct oh, in that? Oh, Linda, you, you make such a valuable, such a valid point. Um, there are patients who will come in and they'll say, I have left leg pain. I know it's my L4-5 disc. That's what was on the MRI. And then when you look at the MRI, it's over on the right side. So it, the, an MRI is only valuable if it if you can clinically connect it to what the patient looks like. What's most important is how is the patient presenting. Secondarily is, does the MRI support that? So it's, it's not the other way around. It can be misleading in <clears throat> Absolutely. other words. Okay, so what do you basically do then with the patient? Just help us, take us through that a little bit. You do the analysis, you, do, you take a full history, and then do you actually attempt some treatment to see what seems to work, and does that lead you down a particular path? 
Oh, that's a great question. So once once you have the history and physical, and then I do orthopedic testing, I do um, neurological testing, once all of those pieces are together, um, then we sit down, I try and figure out what is my best intervention for what I think I have going on here. I'll trial that intervention, and then once they come back to me, if they respond to that intervention, now I know where to refer them to. If they don't, I will try another intervention. So the intervention can become therapeutic for the patient, but important to me, it becomes diagnostic for me as a tool. And then whatever intervention seems to give them the most release, relief, then you move them into the direction of that provider. And in your experience, is there um, a holistic approach? In other words, are there alternative therapies that you find equally helpful to the more traditional, conventional types of things like surgery or these kinds of shots or opioid you know, treatment, for example? I, I do. I mean... I- I'll try to pull from anything I can pull from. So I I have acupuncturists that I've worked with. I have massage therapists that have been invaluable after a car accident when nothing is showing on the MRI, but a lot of it is soft tissue damage um, or injury. Um, Which does not show on MRI. Which does not show. No, does not show. Um, I will look at some nutritional pieces or send them to somebody who can help them look at nutritional pieces. Um, We look at weight loss. How do you approach a weight loss piece, Um, especially if you're having spine pain? Um, of course, there's the traditional, which is your physical therapists and chiropractors. And there are over 100 physical therapists and chiropractors in the community who've been trained as primary spine practitioners as I have been trained. And that's my referral base. Well, it sounds very exciting and also sounds really almost like a key concept here because I think many people that I know who have experienced back pain and problems do seem to find that they go around in circles and it's very frustrating and as you said lost wages and all kinds of other issues so I want to thank you this is very exciting thank you so much for coming in and sharing your perspective on all of this and and I think this primary your brain in in, um, spine clinic or uh, will obviously very, very valuable to our community. My guest has been Denise Karsten. She's a registered nurse and chiropractor and a, spine, a primary spine practitioner with the Upstate Brain and Spine Team. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.